Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. We're really going to start now. We're really going to do it this time. Um, and we are starting a new s- series called Seasons, and we're going to be unpacking uh, this month all the different, uh, the different times in which we transition into a new season, uh, different seasons that we go through. And my heart is really for us to capture life application within this series. And today specifically, we're going to be talking about, I don't know if I'll make it. I don't know if I'll make it. And everyone goes through these different kind of seasons and ignoring the season that you're in can make things feel incredibly confusing. When we don't recognize that we're in a certain season, it can make things incredibly confusing because life isn't as much as being lucky and unlucky, but rather going through different seasons. And when we acknowledge this, it helps us to better rationalize our emotions as we handle the different wins and losses. Today, specifically, we're going to be unpacking the idea of being tired within your season of life. And we're not necessarily going to be focusing on the idea of being physically tired. While you will feel that as well, but we're going to be talking about being tired mentally and emotionally within your routine and your daily expectations. And we, we usually feel most tired, most exasperated before a big seasonal transition before a big seasonal transition. And if we give up prematurely, we could make our next season stunted unnecessarily if we don't recognize what's going on. And so to better understand this, we're going to under, uh, analyze a story in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14, uh, starting in verses 24 through 34. And it says, Now, the men of Israel were hard-pressed on that day, for Saul had put the people under oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats before evening, and before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. All the people of the land entered the forest, and there was honey on the ground. When the people entered the forest, behold, there was honey dripping, but no man put his hand to his mouth, because the people feared the oath. And so we're going to pause here for a moment, and we're going to talk about this, this idea of to not make things harder. Don't make it harder. And this first passage of the story is really peculiar be, because I feel like it offers a third-person glimpse of how we behave. It offers a third-person glimpse of how we behave because the army of Israel in this season, it is, they're extremely... Uh, they're, they're extremely hard-pressed. They're hard, they're, they're hard at work as they're d- trying to deliver themselves from an oppressing nation. The Philistines have been oppressing them as a nation for years, and this is their first moment in which they're trying to, in a sense, deliver themselves. And they're attempting to move into this new season of glory, this new season of promise, of freedom, but they're facing battle after battle after battle. They're, they're getting overworked. And it's not easy breaking the rhythms and the cycles and straight-up bondage that they've been in for years and years. And as they're grinding and grinding, the king, Saul, institutes this decree that no one was to eat any food until they fully won the battle for the evening. 
So grinding and grinding, they're given all their grit. And Saul, to, to try to make it more of like a motivation, more of a, uh, to, to better this challenge, says no one's going to eat until we, fin- we finish this thing, until we finish the war. Now, I don't know if any of y'all have had uh, weird jobs before, but I think the weirdest job I ever had uh, was when I worked for my dad. <laughs> and the reason is, is because even in an interview, and by the way, in this job interview later on in life, I got this job. They asked me, what did you do at your last job? And I was like, well, shoot, pretty much anything and everything except prostitution. <laughs> I, I did everything. And the reason this job was so peculiar was because sometimes we would get so overworked. I mean, we're talking about changing tires, semi-truck tires, not no little car tires, truck tires, big 125-pound uh, tire rims with tires on top. I'm talking about some hard work where just the drill gun is 50 pounds. And while working this job, we'd sometimes get overloaded with work to where we'd just kind of skip lunch. And it wasn't necessarily by choice. I'm like, hey, can I take my lunch break? Well, let's finish this job real quick. And all of a sudden, it's 5 o'clock. It's like, can I take that lunch break now? It's like, well, let's just fi- And we're going to close up at 7. Let's just finish the day. And see, making that, that little bit of just not eating till the end of the day, it could be pretty exasperating. You, you ever worked till the end of the day, by the end of the day, it, it just feels crazy, especially when it's a hardworking job outside. You feel completely drained to where it's like just, uh, just walking to your car is like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing spots. And whenever you get home, typically you'll eat anything. <laughs> you just eat any, anything at that point sounds good. You just get some like the, the most random ingredients. To, you could get a bologna sandwich. I'm like, oh my God. Mm, mm. I don't even like bologna, but it's just like, it feels, it just... You're so hungry and needed. And it's because of the exasperation. So these men, they're, they're not just, tra- again, they're battling every, they're battling. They're battling all day. And they've been battling. If you've ever been in a, a fight, just lasting three minutes is a long time. I was in wrestling in high school. The three minute, uh, the three minute uh, little periods were completely exhausting. These men are fighting all day, all day. Walking from place to place, walking to the next battle, walking to the next battle. And they're not allowed to eat this entire time. They're getting incredibly exasperated. Their fight was already hard enough, yet adding this force fast to it made the battle exceptionally harder than it needed to be. And while we see this in this story, what I find is that people often inadvertently make life more complicated when looking for success. People inadvertently make life more complicated when looking for success. For some reason, we think that we can guarantee certain wins in life if we simply add this synthetic difficulty to the situation. And instead of it magically speeding up the success, it ends up creating the self-sabotage moment. It creates a self-sabotage moment. And most times when people do this, they either sour the sweetness of the victory or they stall the chances of victory altogether. No matter what it is. I'll give, uh, 
a couple of examples because it's a weird moment where this idea, work smarter, not harder, definitely applies. <laughs> work smarter, not harder. Because while you may think at first that you're being witty and increasing the challenge of whatever it is that you're trying to do, you're truly being self-destructive. You will only tire yourself out and, make, and end up getting discouraged at the fact that you feel farther away from your win rather than closer. Now here are those examples I was talking about. This can be seen in diets and exercise. How many, have, how many people in the room have tried a diet or exercise routine before, right? See, people, will be, people can get on a rhythm with their goals and it's like those simple two millimeter shifts that we make that end up making the biggest difference over time. Like uh, me and my wife, we, we did this like several week little diet change to where we stopped eating bread. And it was like this significant change in, uh, in our health to where we felt completely different. We, we felt like we saw results. And it was just a small little change. But what we, people will be on that kind of rhythm, but then jump on a fad diet or a fitness challenge and end up crashing because they overdid it. They were doing good, but all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to do this, this ridiculous challenge because I want to really see results. I want to sprint to the finish line. And then you do this fad diet. You do this, this fad challenge and you, you do this sprint and then you realize you still have a marathon to go. And you end up crashing. You overdid it because, because you find it harder to, and then you find it harder to get back into the rhythm that you had before, because now that you sprinted when you shouldn't have, you exasperated yourself, making it harder than it needed to be than if you were to simply stay on the path you were on. Y'all feel what I'm saying? I'm talking about when we're on a rhythm where we're already trying to make a change, but we make it harder than it needs to be. Another instance that we do this is like when people are going to school full time, which is already hard enough, okay? I couldn't do it. Anyone that's going to school full time, part time, you're, you're better than me. I can't do it. But it is already hard enough. And rather than sticking to that normal schedule of, of doing these classes that you already decided, people will often add on a class to challenge themselves or to speed things up in their process. They try to do that sprint in the middle of the marathon. And what I've found in, the, in the, the many people that me and my wife have counseled is that many times people will get so overwhelmed in that semester they took that extra class that they even, that they even, made, even if they made it through the semester, all of their classes got a lower level grade or they feel so over, uh, over the top that, and they feel so exasperated that they, they take a whole semester off from school after that because they, they overdid it. And so they did more harm than good. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Let me give one more example, because I think the place that we do this the most is in our faith within the church. We do this in our faith within the church. The Bible, the Bible gives a lifestyle to follow and a message to share. The Bible gives a just really simple lifestyle and a message to share, yet we as people add more stipulations of what we think qualifies a better salvation. We put more stipulations than the Bible itself has. And Jesus said it simply, to love God and love people is really just do your best and forget the rest. 
But we say you must also do X, Y, and Z. We add all these extra stipulations of what we believe to qualify as a better salvation. And I've seen so many new believers go to the altar, get, have this genuine experience where they want to give their life to Christ. They want this new, this new walk in God. And they're like, all right, let's send up our connection team. And then some people come and connect with them. They're like, here, let's go to the back and talk more. And then they give them this list of to-dos and to-don'ts to where it gets overwhelming. Like, all right, now you need to start doing this. Now you need to start doing that. And yeah, these things can be beneficial, but it's like, hey man, I just freaking got here. And we, we make it harder than it needs to be. And there's, there's been so many uh, surveys done and, it, and studies done about this connection process that churches often have. And there, there was this, this one study that was done where all of the leadership of a church was, uh, was asked if they follow the same kind of uh, uh, rhythms, the same kind of uh, uh, to-dos that they offer, tell new believers to do. And most of them, I think it was like 70% said, no, I don't even do that. Talking about like, all right, now you need to read the Bible every day. Now you need to do this. Now you need to do that. Again, great. But in increments, it's a marathon, not a sprint. We work our way up. If you can just start with doing everything, good. But we make it this qualifier. And so many of the so many of these church leaders were, realized that they weren't even doing the very things that they were telling new believers they had to do. Y'all, y'all feel what I'm saying? Let, let me go on. Because repentance is translated to simply change directions. That's literally what it's translated to. To change directions. But we have turned it into this rigorous checklist of attempting to earn holiness as we consistently come up with new things to repent of. It, it's funny because the church, the, the world finds new ways to sin, right? Well, the church finds new ways to repent. It, ways that, that aren't even talked about in the scripture. And things that the Bible never even says is a sin. And and the church has turned it into this sinful, audacious thing to even have in your life. The Bible says that all food is acceptable, acceptable to eat and that, and that it is even the only satisfaction that we have while in this world. Did you know Ecclesiastes literally says that food is the only satisfaction that we have in this world? Bon appetit! <laughs> but... While the Bible says that, it says all food is acceptable, it says food is even the only thing that's good in this world, yet there are sermons and preachers today that project that if you enjoy food, you're a glutton. And, and that if you eat pork, you're an immature believer on the fence to hell. There's real churches that, that project this, that we shouldn't be eating pork, we shouldn't be eating shellfish, because in the Torah they don't. If you enjoy food too much, it's because you're glutton and you become attached to this world. Dog, I live here. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be here for a minute. And see, the point I'm trying to make is not that we should go all overindulge, but to make us realize that we are making things harder than they need to be. Being a Christian is a narrow walk already. Why are we trying to put these stumbling blocks in the way when we already have enough of them? 
Y'all feel what I'm saying? We have made the simple path of God more complicated and harder than it needs to be. Salvation is, is in the faith of Jesus alone. And everything else is built on top of that. We are always able to grow our faith. And we should look for ways to grow our faith. We should be looking for ways to grow our faith. But really think about some of the concepts that have made your faith seem more, rig- more than rigorous. That has made your faith even doubt your own salvation. I remember early on in my faith, the majority of young believers, I'm talking about like within three years of giving their life to Christ, would constantly question their salvation. So many times, myself included, people say, well, I just don't know if I'm really saved. I don't know if I'm really saved, you know? I'm like, well, why? I remember even asking people like, do you have like some crazy sin in your life? Well, no, but like, I just feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm not doing enough or I'm not. It, see, it, it turns into our works rather than the simple faith in Christ. And I want you to just think for a moment. Are the, the things that are making your faith more, seem more than rigorous, are they genuinely bringing you closer to God? Or are they just man-made concepts that in fact are making you feel more distant from God? Are they dr- genuinely bringing you closer or do you feel farther away now that you're trying to chase these physical works that you can do? These rigorous checklists that you're trying to keep track of. Are they making your journey with Christ sweeter or strained? Think about this for a moment. The disciples, when they were being crucified, most of them were singing praises. Some of the rigorous things that we're trying to apply to our faith are making us have this disdain for our faith when it's not even something the Bible told us to do. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Are these things truly spiritual or are they just weird concepts that are taken out of context? Are they weird concepts taken out of context? See, setting aside time to pray regularly, that's spiritual. That's spiritual. Attempting to follow the Jewish customs from from the Torah while not being Jewish is weird. Okay? selecting certain times to fast and seek God, that's spiritual. Claiming pork and shellfish are sinful, that's weird. See, these are concepts taken out of context within Scripture. And we can pull, I can pull dozens. And I want us to just really go back to, to better understand this idea. To not make things harder than they need to be, especially in your faith. Is... Always know why you believe what you believe. Always know why you're doing what you're doing. And if you feel confused, even the slightest, of why you're really doing something, and you're doing it because some pastor, you heard some pastor say it, and you don't really get it, then that that should be something to question. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so I want us to go into our next part of this story. Let's continue on. In verses 27 through 30, it says, however, now remember, they just all saw this honeycomb. They're just looking at it, drooling at the mouth, salivating. I don't know if you've ever salivated before. Last night, my wife was looking at TikTok and we had the munchies in the middle of the night. And there's some, there's some really good looking food. <laughs> you know, like when people are like making like 
like some Mexican food on there. I'm not just talking about like Mexican food. I'm talking about like some, some like dirty Mexican food. Or it's like an open skillet. And they're just doing all kinds of stuff. You're like, that looks good. That's, that's how they're looking at this honey right now. And it says, Jonathan had not heard it when his father put the people under oath. So he put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put, it, put his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. I know exactly what that's like. You ever been that hungry? He's like, that's exactly what I need. <laughs> then one of the people responded and said, your father strictly put the people under oath. See, he's mad. <laughs> you ever see someone eat while you're hungry? Saying, cursed be the man who eats food today. And the people were weary. Then Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. See now that my eyes have brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if only the people had freely eaten today of the spoils of their enemies, which they found. For now, the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. Within this next point, I want us to grasp this concept to replenish yourself. Replenish yourself. In this story, Jonathan was the only one who had some joy while going through these battles, while getting the, the victory. He was the only one that was able to feel the joy, to feel the sweetness of victory. Everyone else felt bitter, they felt tired, and they felt overworked. As they were going about the victories, they were winning, but they felt bitter. He was the only one that could truly savor the enjoyment of winning because he allowed himself to be replenished. He allowed himself to be replenished. In fact, some of the soldiers probably collapsed throughout the fighting due to this extreme exhaustion. Some people didn't even make it. And this story shows us that if, if you really want to keep going, you're going to need to relax at some point. You're going to need to relax at some point. You don't need to feel guilty for taking a moment to rest or even to relax. See, a lot of times we get focused like, well, I know that I need to, I need to rest. But then we feel guilty about relaxing. And this boy ate some honey, okay? He didn't eat no celery sticks. He ate some heli. He, he, he relaxed, okay? See, we, we, we even in our rest, we try to make it so constrained because we think if we do that we'll really win we'll get farther we'll, we'll do better but see Jonathan was able to truly relax and this and and you need to allow yourself to let your hair down to kick up your feet every now and then without any guilt or pressure to be productive at every second without feeling the pressure to be winning every moment, to trying to be productive every second. Often we get so fixated on our duties, on our goals, on our responsibilities that we don't allow ourselves to truly enjoy a moment to relax, especially given the fact that your next season might not have so many opportunities to do so. What I've learned, especially having kids, it's like an instant season change. All relaxation goes out the window. All resting goes out the door. And I remember feeling like almost confused at how little sleep we were getting. And see, 
you start to appreciate the moments and opportunities you had to take naps before kids. Me and my wife, we'll, we'll, we'll just sometimes like just talk about it. It's like, man, remember when we could just like take a nap? <laughs> remember we could just take a nap right now? And we'd just be like, yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> that was amazing. Remember when we got more than seven hours of sleep? Oh, yeah, that was, those were the days. <laughs> now when we get six hours of sleep, we're like high-fiving in the morning. Like, hell yeah. <laughs> it, see, the moments of rest that you might have the opportunity for right now won't be, might not be available in your next season. And what I find is that in the moments where things feel slow and you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing and it seems like you just, it's like you want to work but you can't because there's not like more work to do. It, it's almost the best moments to better prepare yourself for the next season of your life because typically it's about to speed real, so much far up that you're not going to know what to do with yourself. It, it, usually seasons go from slow to fast and fast to slow, back and forth. And... You must allow yourself to take the opportunity to relax while you can. And I'm not, I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm not, I'm not talking about overdoing this idea of relaxation. With this concept, we must remember that Jonathan was still grinding before and after this moment. He was grinding before and after this moment of honey. But this was a well-deserved sweet treat moment for him. And while some, some people abuse this concept without giving any grit to the grind, you should simply do your best and forget the rest. And what I find, especially in ministry, this concept, it really does prove, prove true. And it makes me think about many times in ministry, different places that, uh, that I've been uh, in working places with, with other ministers around. When I would grind, when it was time to grind, I'd get great results. I mean, envious results. People, there are times where other ministers didn't like me because they weren't seeing as much success as, as we were. But see, when it was time to grind, I would grind. What other people would do is they would relax. And then when it was time to relax, they would goof off. It's just like a, a constant flow of doing only 20% while I was doing 80%. And the only way I, would be able, I was able to make it through different seasons, when I was a youth pastor, I was working 70 hours a week. That was not easy. And I, I'm talking about grinding nonstop to where there's not a day to rest. But in the moments that I would be able to rest, like every Friday night, that was going to be date night for me and my wife. That was a moment to relax, to where I didn't pick up the phone. I didn't, I didn't have anything else scheduled for that time because it was time to relax with me and my wife. It was one night, a couple hours, and I would pass out by 10 o'clock. I would just pass out at the table. This is the time I literally fell asleep with food in my mouth. I was tired, y'all. But see, when it was time to, to relax with my wife, it was time to relax. And see, we need to understand when we're grinding, we need a, the, the moment that it's time to rest and relax, allow yourself to really embrace that. Because you will not make it throughout the year. You won't make it for the year. You won't make it for two years. You won't make it for three years if you try to just grind in the times you're supposed to rest. You have to replenish yourself. Y'all feel me? 
So with that being said, I want us to finish out with this last concept. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 31 through 34, it says, Now they attacked the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ahedralon, right? But the people were very tired. So the people loudly rushed upon the spoils and took sheep, oxen, and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. Then observers informed Saul, saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating meat with the blood. And he said, You have acted treacherously. Roll a large rock to me today. And then Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Each one of you bring me his ox or his sheep and slaughter it here and eat. Do not sin against the Lord by eating it with blood. So all the people brought them that night, each one of his ox with him, and they slaughtered them there. Within this point, I want us to get to, to focus on this last thought with the idea of getting lost in the details. Lost in the details. And what's most interesting about this passage is the fact that the soldiers felt more compelled to follow the details of a man's command rather than the headlines of the commands of God. See, for the people of Israel... It was just a, a, a very well-known law that they were not supposed to eat meat with, with blood in it. That they were always supposed to drain the blood. They weren't supposed to drink blood. It was a very distinct uh, way that they would worship God because all the pagan nations around them would drink blood. And so God was completely dis making this distinction among the people of Israel to not drink blood. And so as they were starving... They were eating food that wasn't even cooked. You ever, uh, you ever been so hungry that you cooked, a, you made yourself a burger and it wasn't done all the way, and you're like, eh. <laughs> See, these people were just, th these cows were still mooing by the time these guys were biting into them. They were starving. They were so over-exasperated. And it says that they loudly rushed on the spoils. They were shoving people over, trampling on one another. They were losing their humanity. At, all because... They were trying to so follow the details of Saul's command that they lost sight of things that were much more important. And I feel that we as people do this a lot in both with, our, with God and with our goals. We get so fixated on the details that we lose sight of the main thing. Like, like really, what are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to accomplish? And I find that that, to that we often replace winning with perfection. Don't replace winning with perfection. I'm a, now, I want to make it clear that I'm a firm believer in, in the idea that it's not always what you do, but how you do it. I, I'm also a firm, uh, I'm really big on being excellent and doing your best in everything that you put out. Even for this church service, there's a lot of times where I've, uh, I've met people and invited them to our church. I was like, yeah, we started the church. And they're like, oh, so like, y'all don't have like any staff or anything? Like, like, no, it's just us, but you should come. And they, they like have this hesitancy. Like, and for, the, for a while, I didn't know what it was, but they, people would have this like hesitancy, hesitancy in coming trying our church out because they thought that we would just do it really sloppy. <laughs> and then they would come like, oh, y'all actually like put slides up on the screen? Like, y'all actually like, y'all do it really well. Y'all... We've had people say, y'all do it better than churches that have it all together. I was like, well, what can I say? <laughs> See, we, we really strive to be excellent in what we do. And so 
as I'm saying, don't get lost in the details. I'm not saying that it's not important. But what I am saying is that what are we really trying to accomplish? And we should never sacrifice the main thing to accomplish the details. And we, we chase and we end up chasing the, the details instead of the actual goal. And I've seen so many churches get fixated on doing everything in excellence while inadvertently treating volunteers and people like crap in the process. And a church, a, a church should never have that kind of result. I'm talking about people losing their faith over ill treatment from the church. That, that should never be the result of a church. And it often only happens because we get lost in these kinds of details, wanting everything to be perfect. And with your own goals, think of all the times that you got lost focusing on the wrong things. Focusing on the wrong things. In your relationships, how many times have we gotten focused on the wrong things? With our kids, how many times have we got focused on the wrong things? I'll be the first to raise my hand. So often I'll get fixated on wanting my kid to just be obedient. <laughs> just do what I said. To where I'll get worked up. In times where I, my kid, my, given, I have little girls that are very tender, Okay. Joy, I can say like, oh, don't do that, baby. And Joy will start crying because she knows. <laughs> but when I get my little girl to, to cry because I wanted her to do this one detail, it, but it's like all worked up when I was really just wanting, I, it was not even like my plan to get fixated on this detail. I'm losing sight of like actually cherishing this moment with my kid and I'm just wanting her to do this one little thing that doesn't even matter. See, we get focused on the details and... We, we get lost while, doing, while trying to do everything seemingly the right way. I want us to understand that sometimes we can focus on the when and how we get there sometimes doesn't matter. Unless it like breaks integrity or some morals. Besides, those, besides that, sometimes it's okay to win by just winning somehow in some way. And it makes me think about another time when I was a youth pastor... And I, I just got to say that I was a pretty good youth pastor. Joey knows. <laughs> yeah. I was pretty good, okay? I was, I was actually really cool, too. And I'm not just saying, like, I look cool. I was, like, freaking dope as a youth pastor, okay? <laughs> I was probably the best youth pastor anybody could ever. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, really, what I'm getting at is I, I, we had some really great wins. And there's very – there's actually – there's a lot of things I, I, I learned as I did certain things wrong. There's, a lot, there's very few things that I regret. Like, for example, this is a moment where I learned, but I didn't regret. Lauren just brought this up the other day. As a, as a youth pastor, early on in our youth ministry, when we first got started, we had, I, I had this idea to do this like kind of Olympic-style game for our youth service with eggs. I thought it was an excellent idea. Yeah, I know. You're starting to see how cool I was. <laughs> And part of the process of this, this Olympic race was they're split into teams and one, one kid would be holding an egg on a spoon as they would go under a bridge of other kids tossing an egg over them and catching it. And if you cracked your egg, you're out. And now I don't know if these kids were just 
had poor hand-eye coordination or if they were doing this on purpose. There was that one point where I saw a kid intentionally chunk an egg at the wall. And I was like, don't do that. But the kids had a blast. It was a lot of fun. And it was a great experience for them that some of them may not ever forget. Well, I didn't expect the person I told to clean up the eggs as they were spilled. I said, as soon as the egg drops, go clean it. I didn't expect them to need to be told to use a chemical cleaner, to not just wipe it up with a dry napkin, but to use cleaner to clean the egg, right? I didn't expect I needed to say that, so I learned. I learned something. I also didn't expect that the cleaning guy that comes every week right before the service to clean the church wasn't going to do his job. (laughs) That he was actually just going and doing a spot cleaning that it's rather than actually cleaning like we do every week. <laughs> but th- that Sunday, me and my wife, we, we ended up not being able to be at the Sunday morning service. We usually are. And we were out of town or something. And we found out that the children's church in which we had the, the little event smelled like rotten eggs, like really bad to the point of people gagging and it just being a horrible stench. And they like chewed us out. I was like, whoa, chill. <laughs> and we went that day and, clean, and mopped and cleaned the whole thing. And I found all of this dust and all these other things that were been dirty for a long time. And I took pictures like, well, cleaning guys should have got this. But be that as it may, it was not something that I regretted. Because at the, my main goal was for these kids to have fun. I didn't get lost in the details, although I learned from the details. Now, let me give you another example of something that I truly regret to where literally there's times randomly throughout the year where I'll think about moments like this and feel, feel, still feel that same regret in wishing that, I, that that experience had not happened. There was one time where we had a guy's night for the youth, and it was awesome. We had, uh, on the, this was a big church, right? It was a big mega church, and I got video games set up on the big projectors on the screen. Every kid's dream, okay? Talking about uh, some episodes of Super Smash Bros up on the church screen. That's awesome. While that was going on, we moved chairs out of the way to where people were playing volleyball, basketball inside the church. It was like a full-out awesome session that these guys were having. And to top it off, as they were having this blast, we even had this like jousting ring. Okay, a blow-up jousting ring to where they could just fight each other. Every, again, every young guy's dream. Everything was going swimmingly. And we ended the night by having free pizza for all. Okay? It, and you're just thinking in your head right now, I want to go to this. I know. <laughs> well, keep in mind, this is, this is during the time where I was working 70 hours a week. Okay? And this is now an extra event. So this just added like six to eight hours on top of my already exasperated time. So I'm, I'm feeling tired. <laughs> I'm feeling a little cranky, but I'm doing it for the kids. And I, this particular day, I'm pretty sure I was up since 4.30 that morning. And it's now like getting around 9 o'clock at night. So I'm, I'm done. And we still have to clean up. These are all my excuses, right? It doesn't change the fact that I still feel incredibly regretful for what I'm about to share. So we get the pizza, right? And I, I make an announcement at the very beginning. I said, look, we just, we have limited pizza. And I know that you are young teenage boys. 
that have no conscience of how much you can eat. You have no, no concept of whether or not you are truly full. And some of y'all don't even eat the crust. So, before you get seconds, everyone has to go and, and we're going to all get one first. And I will let you know when we'll get seconds. It's a very clear instruction, right? And at this point, the night is already like, like the main idea is, what, is to get these kids to have a fun experience at church to, to feel um, connected to the church, can have a sense of brotherhood with the kids that they go to church with. This is one of the main ideas for these kids. One kid finished pizza and everyone was still eating and he got up and he went and I, and I just glanced up and he was getting a second slice of pizza. And I said, hey, what are you doing? And I didn't realize that everyone in the room stopped and I didn't realize how I sounded. See, I didn't realize that my tone is usually, oh, fun, lucky go, Homer. He's like, hey, what are you doing? My authority came out. And he's like, I was, I was, just, I was just getting another slice of pizza. I said, I said to wait until everyone ate first. Put it back. And he just kind of had, he looked confused, like, why are you talking to me like, like so harsh? And again, I was exasperated, I was tired. And I got fixated on this little detail. And I said, put it back. And he put the pizza back and everyone was just quiet. He came, sat back down at his chair and he was trying not to cry. And I remember in that moment, just sinking my head down, realizing that I got so fixated on a stupid detail that I ruined the main thing. And I remember just... It was a moment that he may not remember, he may remember, he may hate my guts, I don't know, but it was a moment that I really regretted, that I, I ruined this one kid's experience that single night, just, and made him feel exposed, I made him feel like the center uh, of a negative attention, it's just all these things that I would never want anyone to feel, and it's all because I got fixated on the details that I lost sight of the main thing. And this is one example of, of what I'm talking about, I'm being transparent and within ministry. Every major regret I've had in ministry are those kinds of moments where I've lost sight of the main thing and got fixated on a stupid detail. That was unnecessary. Times where I inadvertently hurt somebody's feelings without, even try, without meaning to, those are the biggest regrets I ever have in ministry. And I could go on and on about times well, I lost sight of the most important thing. Times in marriage, times with my kids, times with my jobs. But maybe that's what you're realizing today. You're, getting, you're, you're thinking about the details, but now you're thinking about the main thing. And maybe you've lost sight of what's most important to you. Maybe you're realizing in this moment the main thing about God, that all these other things that have been projected by churches, you're realizing that they're just the details and you're realizing the main thing about Jesus Christ. I want everyone to take a moment to bow your heads and close your eyes. If that's you here today, and you're realizing the main thing, and that is Jesus, and you've never made a real decision to put your trust in Him, the Bible says, 
that we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely we shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you have an authentic heart and just talk to Jesus yourself, acknowledge who he is, the Son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead for the world's sins, that's all it takes to start your journey with him, to start a relationship with him. In fact, that is truly what the step of repentance is, to change directions. We were all at one point walking not with God or away from God. And in this moment, it could be a moment where you start walking with him. That's a change of directions. If you're here and you've never made that kind of decision before, or maybe you want to renew that decision today, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. I see all your hands. So just there to yourself, I want you to have that own conver- your own conversation with him. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can just talk to him yourself. And while they're doing that, for the rest of you, if you're here, and you just feel like the Holy Spirit was speaking to you today in this message. Maybe it was about the concept of not making things harder than they need to be. Maybe you felt like God was really hitting you with the idea of needing to replenish yourself, of really needing to rest and allow yourself to relax without feeling guilty. Or maybe it's this last part about getting lost in the details. If you felt like the Holy Spirit was ministering to you today in one of these ways, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. I see all your hands. So now I'm going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you finish what you started, that you make things abundantly clear for your people today, and that you help us to find a resolve in you as we are going through whatever season it is we're going through. And I pray, God, that you encourage your people, give them a second win, and help them to truly feel closer to you today. In Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.